0: And welcome back to Critical Thinking Episode 7. Uh, I am John, the executive producer here at Final Show Films and at John A. Bates on Twitter. And with me today is Jack.
1: Hey, this is Jack. I'm at Alt F4
2: Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm J
0: Thomas411Mani on Twitter. And this week we're talking about Critical Role Episode 7 The Throne Room, which aired on. May twenty-third. Yes. I think we're in May. The fourth month is May, yes. Um Yes, May twenty-third, twenty fifteen. Uh this episode is starring No, May Ariana- is the fifth month. Sorry. Fourth March. month is April. Well oh, no, April. April. I I can't calendars. Uh <coughs> April twenty third, twenty fifteen. Um, starring Orion Acaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxil Don, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, and Matthew Mercer, as always, the Dungeon Master. Um, it's okay, time is
2: a flat circle anyways. <laughs> That's what I hear.
0: Previously on Critical Role, the party was given a mission to seek out the female halfling paladin Lady Kima Vord, who had been missing while on a vision quest seeking a deep dark evil that had grown beneath the dwarven city of Craghammer. <coughs> ah. The party traveled to the city, delved deep within its caverns, and ended up in the Underdark, a landscape of terror and darkness. They allied themselves with the Illithid Cloroda, who is exiled from his society and wishes to wishes re-entreat by saving them from K'varn, a evil entity uh, with some sort of horn in his head uh, that has taken over the Illithids and Duragar of the Darkness. Uh, after a series of battles with the Duragar and Illithid, they found their way into the Duragard Fortress of Emberhold, where they saved Lady Kima from, from torture. A tenuous alliance between Kima and Cloro was forged, and they all head to the main floor of the fortress. And we begin what is the uh, first real dungeon crawl of the series. So, And Mm -hmm. and what what my dungeon crawl is, this is the first time while watching Critical Role that they make a heavy emphasis on use of the map. Um, Typically in D&D, you don't ever really need an actual map. Unless you're going through a dungeon or a very complicated maze or a labyrinth or something that requires the um, that requires a set of consistent measurements, because there's going to be lots of fighting in it, or there are specific places that you that the GM you know doesn't necessarily need to or want to memorize, so you've got it all laid out on a map. Um, so I think uh, this
1: would be a perfect time to talk about the difference between. Tactical and narrative combat.
0: Yep. Yes. Uh, so, so yeah, we and there's also going to be a, there's in this episode there's a lot of tactical combat.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean for people who don't know the difference, tactical combat is one that delineates and relies a lot more on strategy, on actual measurement, on having a consistent world with physical boundaries and various uh, conditions and aspects. Um, You know, that's the sort of thing that things like wargaming got uh, off the ground with and things like that. Whereas narrative combat is one where, sure, you might, you know, you'll have tension and issues and conflict and and risk and that sort of thing. But it all takes place in more of a slightly more abstract headspace. Uh, things are a little more vague and you're more in – Focused on the the feel and the flow and the ebb and and things of the the battle itself, less so on. Am I thirty feet away from the guy or forty five feet away from the guy? Because that's going to matter.
0: The yeah. term you're looking for is theater of the mind. Yes, the yes,
1: exactly. Um, and this so, one this one goes more on the tactical side.
0: So yeah. I, 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 this I, I was, is.
2: Uh, sorry, this is this episode is the equivalent if we're talking about like uh uh from a narrative or uh uh episodic format. This is like the mission chapter of the story or what I what what when I was doing up notes I was calling the mid season finale, so to speak. It's sort of a mini climax where everything's been building towards this, the stakes are fairly high, um and, and a lot of times you put you, Whereas the previous episodes have been very character-driven, that development is sort of put aside <clears throat> in order to focus really heavily on the plot and and give some payoff to some stuff. Mm. Yeah.
0: Also, like the you know this is the action movie uh, to the previous drama. Right. Um, the so as since we've taken a, a moment to talk about it, um, <coughs> we've all experienced both versions of that the uh super tactical the super uh narrative versions of combat and of of fighting. Which one do you two prefer?
1: I always like a more narrative focus.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I I enjoy I enjoy uh a combat that is more of a storytelling fashion. It allows for a lot more cinematic stuff. I tend I tend to see in D and D, and also in um, in 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 writing, in gaming, in in television, when it starts to get really focused on the tactical actions being taken, and that it's really really easy to lose sight of of maintaining the viewer's interest. Right. Um, for
1: for me tactics is only interesting in to and this is just my perspective tactics is generally only interesting to me insofar as it's an extension of or an illustration of the various aspects and psycholo- psychologies of the characters that i yep. like um and that's not to say that you can't have a nice melding of them as well uh that the the, uh, the best one in my opinion sure the rest of the movie has been borderline universally panned, but the Duel of the Fates sequence in Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. is a fantastic illustration in my, in my book for tactical combat that is also, but that is more on a deeper level illustrative of the narrative that's going on. You know, you've got two Jedi, <laughs> one Sith. You've got these sweeping vistas that then lead into very confined spaces. You have moments when it's two fighting one and then the action peels one of them off and then it's one on one but the entire feel of that combat is not who has the high ground who's in the best position who's the best uh blade master it's good versus evil it's the veteran the rookie and the villain and the different ways those sort of archetypes are intersecting and interacting through the entire thing, there's a very good mood and there's a very good emotion to the entire action sequence. It's not simply, oh shit, Darth Maul's got the high ground, they're they're all screwed, you know?
2: Right. No, it's and Tactical, you know, there, there are things that you can do. Tactical uh, storytelling works well when you have plot twists. Like, like you spend mm-hmm. a lot of time working up what the, player, what, or the players, the protagonists are doing. Um, and then you get to see how it all falls apart. Or yep. everything goes beautifully. And then the antagonist throws in a plot twist that changes everything. Mm-hmm. or or something like that in terms of just sheer tactical storytelling it's not my favorite right or like the, <clears throat> if any
1: of you've watched the movie Gettysburg that's an excellent one as well where the tactics are there because uh, obviously it's a it's an attempted retelling of a historical battle that actually happened where military tactics played a huge element um but it's also the tactics underscore what the actual Protagonist characters are going through Whether it's Chamberlain's defense on uh, Little Round Top to Pickett's Its charge um, and There's this constant change Of you know the face of war is changing We have the old guard who has <clears throat> These old tactics that have been used And it's very closely tied to their <clears throat> Concepts of honor and, uh, and home And culture and duty But when you're making A, a, a mass charge over open Ground against an entrenched artillery position position honor and duty do not carry you more than about 20 yards and then you're just eating canister shot with your teeth the entire time you know and so there's that level of these these values that may still resonate with a modern (laughs) audience are suddenly being physically shown to becoming outdated or no longer as relevant as would have been thought based on how the tactics of this conflict play out
0: yep so there's a reason why I asked that question. Go for it. Um, and the was, reason it to, is... was it to hear
1: me drone on for five minutes?
0: No, no. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but that's, that's always nice. Okay. Uh, the, the reason I asked is because it's kind of a trick question, because in my mm-hmm. mind, there's no reason for the two things to be separate. Mm-hmm. And I find that a lot of people can't conjoin those two ideas, both in gaming and in storytelling and in writing and in film. Um, but I come from a theater fight choreography background, mm-hmm. and I've always said that some of the best storytelling in theater is not verbal. Um, and, I, and I always get angry at people <laughs> who do Romeo and Juliet. Okay. <laughs> and the reason I get angry at people who do Romeo and Juliet is because they, take, they, they never consider the fight scenes to be important even even shakespeare didn't consider the fight scenes to be important when he was really? writing it because when he wrote it the words are they, they fought. fight <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. that was it that's all that like he, they fight and then more dialogue um but i find that in the fighting there is a ve- a very large amount of characterization and storytelling you can do that yeah. lots of people never do.
1: Yeah, it's frequently um, overlooked. You're absolutely right. The,
0: the, the, and, and the example that I always use is, the, is Tybalt and Romeo.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, throughout, throughout the story, Tybalt is spoken of as a master swordsman, and he's also referred to as the Prince of Cats. There is no dialogue section of the story in which he is he in in which the prince of cats is ever paid off there is no explanation given for that nickname there is nothing ever applied to him to indicate that he's particularly cat-like aside from the fact that he doesn't like romeo Mm -hmm. um so how do you characterize what that means well, as a fight choreographer, I look at the way he fights. He he has the largest number of fights in the show. He fights yep. with he fights mm-hmm. with uh, the Capulets in the begin. He fights with Benvolio in the beginning. He fights with Mercutio in the middle, and then he fights with Romeo with Romeo right before he dies. So he ha- so he has per capita the most fights. And I'm using per capita wrong, and I don't care for those of you that, that that were. <laughs> going I mean, mostly right. And so. When I choreograph, uh, Tybalt, he uses a very, uh, a very uh, s- uh, semi-traditional Italian um, fencing style, uh, but he does it with almost a ballet dancer's grace, mm-hmm. because. Well, if he's the prince of cats, but it never shows up in his dialogue, it must show up in the way he moves, in the way he carries himself. And so, in the fight with Romeo versus Tybalt, you've got Tybalt, who is an expert swordsman, who is lithe and agile, and moves with a bat with a ballerina's grace on the in the battlefield, versus Romeo, who is a love-struck idiot, who has never fought anything in his life and is driven solely by his passions. So the way these two fight, the way they fight each other, and the way Romeo comes out on top is a very important story point that always gets glossed over as they fight. Right. And almost every, and in almost every production I, of Romeo and Juliet I have seen, they have never really done justice to that fight, because that's a lot. Of, like, like, if if you were to write that story, if you were to write beat for beat that fight, how would you do that? This untrained, inept, angry, passionate character beating this cold, calculating, cat-like expert swordsman—that's a fantastic story I mean, you- <laughs> by itself, right? Right. But and and and. and in the course of that fight, the audience is just seeing two guys fight. But if you analyze it, there's no words, there's no dialogue, it's just them going at it. If you, if you, if you watch it very carefully with an eye for uh, characterization, with an eye for art, there's a very complex story being told there. Translating that back to D&D and to other methods of storytelling, I find that even when you're do- using a tactical fight style, When you're looking at this fight from the top down and you're seeing, you know, person goes there, person goes there, person does this, person does this. It's still very easy to tell a story using that tactical information and to make a narrative fight out of a tactical fight. Simple things like, how does this person react when someone they love is injured? How does this person react when someone they love is in danger? Do they... Do the smart tactical thing and move over to where they're going to best- best situate or best help the party, or do they forego that and run over to help the person that they care about there's a lot of like like does 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 the person that should stand there and peg people from a distance with bow and arrow draw their swords and run into melee Does a person who should um you know, be visible and clearly orchestrating and leading the, the party, turn invisible and run away. There's a lot of narrative characterization op- opportunities when you're confined to the constraints of a tactical battle that you don't always get with a narrative battle because there's no way to represent certain things.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is why I like to, uh, which, which is why I think to an extent, you know, there's there's no, there are very few ways, I should say, to... Write a battle one hundred percent one way or the other.
2: Oh, yeah. they're Yeah, I mean, no, you can, but right. they don't make
1: entertaining reads. But, right, but right. It's it becomes just kind of crap. Um, generally. So so. so but yeah, because because the entire concept of tactics is here's a problem. Here are your various decisions. What do you choose? And honestly, just that really is. No further removed from a good narrative than here 's a relationship here 's a difficulty here 's a peril here 's a fill in the blank. here are your various options what do you choose that's kind of what all narrative for the most part is
0: yeah so yeah that's that 's why I asked the question kind of as a trick uh, right. trick question because there doesn't have to be you don 't have to have one or the other being your favorite. they can right. be used in conjunction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, okay, sorry wait, wait, I don't think you...
2: that was a trick question though I mean no, it, wasn't, it wasn't really a trick <laughs> it question, wasn't a but... trick question because you asked because the way that you asked it, we basically gave the same answer you did, right. yeah
0: mm-hmm. um, so uh they move up they move back up to the main floor of the Hole. We're still on the first line of this of the synopsis um <laughs> we're we're really good at this well that's
2: because we we pretty much just covered a large portion of this episode. It's right. true. It's true. And now we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty details. And but now right. we're going to get down to the details of it.
0: Yeah. So, with Vax <laughs> taking a point, they work their way through the halls, trying to locate the armory to find uh, Kima's holy items that will help them eliminate the threat. Uh, working around a few guards, uh, he manages to find uh, the blacksmith within the hold. Scanlan and Colorado both go invisible and follow the path Vax forged. Vax slips into the room and slices the smith's throat without him making a sound. Again Vax going a little psychopath, but we see where you know his rogue training comes in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and
1: Vax going off solo is a key aspect of his character and oh, yeah. you know one he, that he one that will continually be reinforced. Yeah, he doesn't
0: like he doesn't I, it, you know he doesn't like people watching him kill people. Right. Um, also he you know works better on his own kind of character which is is, is a fairly archetypical character. Uh, it's like very um, very strider in mm-hmm. Lord of yep. the Rings asks, "You know, I, you know." Vax
2: is Vax is the Batman of this group.
0: Yeah the the murder the murder Hobo Batman. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, they take a minute to call the rest of the team in, so Kima can look for the wep- look the weapons over. She's able to find what she's looking for, and so they begin to move on. Um, as the re- as the group moves, the guards notice Trinket moving down the hallway. Uh, Vax takes out one. Vex and Percy knock the other one out. Pike moves forward, and Pike moves forward and uh kills, <laughs> like, like just tears the guy's throat out with her mace, much to the shock of everyone else <laughs> <laughs> this, is,
2: this is a great example of sort of what I was talking about in terms of like uh, mid season finale kind of stuff where yeah. it's a moment that happens, and these sort of things are 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 common during these kind of high stake mini climax moments where. A character choice is made in the heat of the moment. It's not really dealt with at that time because there isn't time, but you know that it's something that's going to be set up, that's a setup for later. And that's really where some some of the most interesting narrative value in these kinds of episodes are, is you guys are on a time schedule. You don't have a lot to, you don't have a lot of time to really, uh, uh, sit down and talk about everything that's going on, or or do a lot of reflection. So you have to really quick. You're in the moment. You have to make a choice. It may not be the best one, and it's probably best for the storyline if it's not the best one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're just um, they they're starting to set hooks. They're not really any yes. of them in. They're just setting them.
2: And,
0: and yeah. this there. this this harkens back to what I was just talking about. With the you know, you make a decision in this tactical combat scenario, this person that we've already established as a cleric and is the healer, mm-hmm. support person in the group, uh, made the decision that wasn't, you know, an, an unnecessary decision to go forward and just tear this guy's throat out with an instrument that makes that difficult. Yes. <laughs>
2: yep. And so. this is one that I always thought was really interesting because I know at the time, uh, at the time that it initially came out, and in retrospect, we know this, We know we know a little bit better about this, But at the time it came out, everybody felt like it was a really weird out-of-character moment. Sort of like talking a couple of episodes back about them being their reaction to... to, um, The brain suck. The brain sucking. But knowing what we know now is very much an in-character decision. Mm -hmm. Um, Because she had just come off of her death. And...
0: Yeah. yeah, it's, a, of it's a, It
1: might be a little more overt or a little more extreme than we're used to seeing, but it's not right.
0: conflicting. No, yeah. and that's you know, but it's also this is an interesting. This is a good position to show that bit of character development off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, they find a they find a, a a bathroom and hide the bodies in it. Uh, then they locate an empty barracks room, filled props for
1: creating a set uh, a fantasy setting that actually has bathrooms.
0: Right. My favorite things always have bathrooms. They're outside.
1: Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> you guys just never used them. You all held them in for the entirety of the campaign. <laughs> Short rests. <laughs> Short rests, long rests. Uh, they hide the bodies in there. Then they find, the, they find an empty barracks room uh, and uh, filled with empty beds. Um, Scanlan finds a room, checks it out, and then shits on the bed. Uh, it shits on the bed and then covers it with, uh, the blanket so that whoever comes back in here, if they leave anyone alive, gets a very, su- very not, not nice surprise.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, da-da-da-da.
1: this was also the, uh, one of the mm-hmm. fir- first episodes where we saw Scanlon actually being a legit curvy creep, yes. um, you know, trying to, trying to look down Kima's shirt while he's invisible and, and shit like that, you know, where yeah. it's, it's an, it's an interesting character choice, I'd say, especially given what we know of the cast and their general interactions with each other and the, the setting. Um, but it's an interesting flaw to throw in, For a character, especially one of Scanlan's ilk, where normally that character's interactions with with women are the stereotype is, you know, oh, it's the bard. He's suave. He's charming. You know, he but but underneath it all, he's generally an honorable individual, whereas mm -hmm. now Scanlan's Scanlan's being kind of a jerk. Well, I mean,
0: we, we we already knew this from his introduction. Like, well, yes, this right. is, like, but we, the introduction was more
2: lighthearted. It. This right. is what this is what, and I'm going to throw out a phrase here, and I'm not using it in terms of a negative thing. And in fact, I'm using it sort of a discussion point. This is what would be referred to in a lot of current commentary about characters a, a lot of time in retrospect as a quote-unquote problematic character. Yeah. Um. And again, in Scanlon's case, I don't think that it's a bad thing. I think that when you have a, uh, an ensemble group like this, first of all, we know that they're all broken in various ways. And we've seen some of that already in Vax, uh, in Percy a little bit. In in Keyleth, a little bit. And in fact, I think that was right around the 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 moment where Keyleth was burying her, her shame <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> oh God, that is so mentally unhealthy. I cannot deal with right? that. Um, and so you you know we haven't seen quite that same thing from 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 Scally. There's been a couple of jokes about it, but I think this is the first time that it's sort of done and it's not really done. I mean, it it's done kind of as a humor point, but it's more done as a character thing, really. Yeah, um, Which puts him in an inst- interesting light, and it, it sort of at the time made him a little bit more divisive of a character, mm-hmm. because some people are like, I feel ewe about that period. And in my mind, I can understand that, but at the same point, I, that he, gives him an interesting wrinkle, yes. and we don't want any of these characters to be, uh, uh, this is the example I always use, we don't want them to be Cyclops, pre-Emma Frost, uh, Superman, or Captain America, because mm-hmm. those are dull.
0: Well, Captain America is the least dull of the three, but yes. Yeah. Um but 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 no, I I definitely see where you're coming from. Also, I mean, the simpler thing also to say is just that he does what everybody what everybody really would do if they could go invisible. Like oh, yeah, if, if you could a, go diff- invisible, if you could go invisible and no one could see you doing things, ninety percent of the people in the world would do creepy, pervy things because they felt like they couldn't get caught. Um
1: but, right. But there's but uh, and I think for me, the difference is, you know, there's a there there is a difference between, you know, a, a lighthearted sequence of Scanlan and Grog going to the whorehouse together versus <laughs> we've just rescued this woman from a torture chamber. She's a named NPC who is our ally,
2: who is obviously and, going through a lot of emotional, who trauma is going through a, 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 yeah,
1: a oh, yeah. shit ton of emotional <laughs> trauma right now. Hey, let's see if we can get a look down her shirt. you know It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I would All say right. the the second instance is probably a far more, as Jeremy said, problematic circumstance than the sort of assumptions that are together in the first illustration of the brothel, you know, yeah, yeah.
2: and I don't think problematic characters should be absent from
1: oh, hell no, from
2: fiction either. Uh, I think that's a common misconception is that when characters are called out as problematic, it's a, well, this is something we need to stop. We need to stop the prevalence of it because a lot of the time you see nothing but. But in terms of those characters exist and they should absolutely exist because they provide contrast to the other characters. They right, also as long serve as they're not necessarily right?
1: right. And as long yeah. as they're not necessarily normalized or legitimized exactly. in their problematic You know, it's like, yeah, no, problematic characters are hugely important, but it's also but it's just as important that, you know, you recognize, yeah, that, no, this yes, is
2: they are a problem.
1: <laughs> right. We're yeah. not validating everything this individual just does yeah. just because they're a protagonist. <laughs>
0: to be clear, None of us are condoning going invisible and looking down people's shirts, especially after you've been rescued after you've rescued them from a torture chamber. <laughs> Just to be clear, in case in you ever you find Ray. yourself in that situation, we are not it, condoning that. Don't do it. Don't send us angry emails. Okay, uh, or angry tweets. We are,
1: however, totally condoning shitting the bed in the guest room.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> while invisible. While um... Invisible. So. Uh, Vax finds a large hall with a small fire burning in the center. It appears to be a great or dining hall, uh, looking like a meal was interrupted. Uh, he moves in, seeing something shiny on the table in the back of the room. Tiberius wanders around the corner and finds the secondary barracks room and also finds himself in the path of a pair of guards. As they charge around the corner, Tiberius falls back. Vax loses an arrow into one of them as they get close. Keeleth, still in cat form, jumps over Grog into the fray, taking a bite out of one. As Vax finishes him with a pair of daggers, Tiberius, fall- Tiberius falls. Tiberius fells the second one with a double blast of firebolts. Um, yeah, and thin- once again,
1: it's an it's an excellent uh exhibition of character, either character reinforcement in a tactical setting. You know, yeah. Tiberius is the type of individual who, despite not being the most hardy or uh, resilient person, shoves his way to the front so that he can see what's going on first. I have, Keyleth... no,
0: idea what you're ta- I have no idea what kind of character yeah, you're talking yeah, I, about. There. I
1: know you don't. I know you don't. Uh, you know, Keyleth, <laughs> Keyleth immediately goes for the, hey, let's work together, you know, fastball special me grog kind of thing, you know, and, and Vax is off trying to get. Uh, an idea for the larger picture and then swoops in at the last moment to, you know, stick pointy metal things into other people. Yep. Yeah, it was a very consistent level of, you know, and then they subvert their general normalized roles later on in the story.
0: Yep. Um, With them down, Vax goes back to the Great Hall and investigate the light he saw before. As he approaches, uh, with half the team following behind, he sees that the light is just a wisp and the door is slammed shut. Vex and Pike are blasted with psionic energy, stunning them. Uh, and a second, a, uh, an Illithid grabs Vax, uh, wrapping his tentacles around his head and trying to remove his brain. Uh, Kima comes in, slashing away the Illithid and allowing Vax to break free. He stabs it twice, the second finding it in the eye socket and filling it. Uh, after, now, as, as a curiosity, do these feel like, while watching, do these feel like weaker than normal elithid to you guys?
2: These felt like I'm not going to lie. These felt a little bit like going back to the example that I've used about Power Creep, um, uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Uber vampires in the finale, as opposed to the first one that they encountered.
0: Yes, yeah, because it yeah. felt like they f- took they out went down these guys quick. a lot faster than they dealt with previous. Now, which to be fair, the last list that they dealt with pretty quickly too, but. Um, yes. It, it just um, but, it feels like they're killing these guys real quick. Although, well,
2: credit to the way that they are portrayed, because there's still a lot of threat that's going on in here. V- Vex actually gets grabbed by one of them and... and Vax, but yeah. Vax. Did I say Vax? Yeah. Yeah i went I went six episodes without doing it um, <laughs> that's pretty, that's a pretty good run. I mean, that's a good run, but so it, they were still portrayed as threats, they just went down quicker mm-hmm. yeah
1: well and and I think consistent with the way the uh the monsters were developed initially, you know they're supposed to be much more weak if you can manage to get physically toe to toe with them. Um, you know, cause I mean, if, if the rest of the group had not been able to break in, you've got two people stunned and one in the process of getting his head chewed through. If that was, if they had been able to hold that situation, that would have been at least three people down probably pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah. Um, but the fact is you, two illithids, Versus the group, if the group cohesively pulls together and the rest of them jump in and help out their friends, I would say that this was, from a narrative perspective, a good spot. Because only one of the illithid actually get killed. The other one uh, teleports out.
0: Well, which is Um, what I was just about to get to. Right.
1: uh... And and that's that's a very, I would say, uh, common situation (laughs) for… We're in, you know, for the mid-season finale, like Jeremy's been been referencing. You know, we we penetrate the installation, we get in. There's a conflict. We take a few of them down, but the rest of them get out, and yep. that's enough to ratchet up the stakes of tension. To okay, this has gone from an ambush to they are definitely aware that we are here. And they're going to start arraying their forces against us, and we're going. This is go- not going to be a quick hit and run. This is going to be a long slog if we want to clear this installation out. Yeah, yeah,
2: and there's a lot of that that comes up in the later fight too that we'll mm-hmm. get to. Yeah, in terms of how that sort of played out. So
1: yeah, from a from a from <laughs> balance perspective, I'd say yeah, these these illithids seemed a little squishier, but from a narrative perspective, I'd say that was the point.
0: Uh, so as Jack said before, the second Illithid gets pummeled by Tiberius's grand columns, or uh, by Tiberius's earthen columns, um, and vanishes. Uh, Keleth Percy, and Vax move through the halls, checking one room to the checking room after room, uh, looking for the vault Kima spoke of. Uh, Kima spoke of previously. Um, what what vault was this? Did, did
1: uh, where we... Kima's armor and Kima's weapons are Yeah, actually gear was.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, sorry, the the thing I'm reading isn't hundred percent accurate um, yes uh, they find they don't find much except for a temple room dedicated to the Durgar, the Duragar's uh, god um, and tiberius Tiberius vex and Keleth uh sorry Tiberius vax and Keleth, I just did that, I just did it too. Uh, look over the temple area while scan and Scanlan finds a room that looks like a laboratory of some kind. Uh, there's a Duragar in the back of the room laughing as a cloud of poison slams him in the face uh, from a trap attached to the door. Uh being
1: scanlan
0: it he, yeah Scan, <laughs> scanlan scanlan trips a cloud of poison trap as he opens the door and there's a durgar in the back laughing at it um vex uh shoots him with a pair of arrows uh stepping into the room setting off another trap uh that affects her and trinket uh then vex cures the po- vex uh cures the poison off trinket and Kima storms into the room uh, and and basically begins to interrogate the mage. Um, yeah. Nice little yep. uh,
1: character moment for, for Kima there. You're really getting to see how her treatment at the hands of these Durgar has affected her. Um, and, you know, Matt's doing an excellent job of demonstrating sort of the, the way she's handling her trauma, which is basically mm-hmm. inflicting it back on the people she views as her captors. Yeah. Um,
0: they uh, the, the, the Durgar just tells them that everyone's waiting for them outside or in the throne room upstairs, and in response, she guts him yep. uh, and leaves him to die. Uh, they take a moment to focus and heal uh, and discuss how to make their way up to, to the throne room and to attack. Uh, after some debate, Tiberius comes up with a plan. He wants to assume the guise of the Durgar god, Ride right atop Keyleth in giant scorpion form, uh, and make their way up to the stair, up the staircase, uh, and make their way up to the throne room. And I'm not sure what he was hoping for out of this plan.
1: Um, I think it was the way they, the way the the protagonist discussed it uh, during their planning session was. At worst, it's going to cause a great diversion so that everybody's attention is focused on Tiberius and Keleth, while the rest of them can get into a more advantageous tactical <laughs> position mm-hmm. um, to handle whatever forces have been marshaled in the throne room. Yeah. Um, best to case what... scenario, they actually do believe he's a personification of the deity, and they basically just, you know, I suppose, ride off with their saddlebags full. Um, yeah.
0: And so we we once again uh, have Tiberius's character of I know two things about this culture, therefore I know everything I need to know about this culture. <laughs> right. <laughs> um.
2: So this whole that whole plan is, you know, if if this was something I was writing or something that I was I, I was producing as a show. Um, this is in the middle of, if you have an episode like this or, or or a chapter like this, which is so nonstop fight, fight, sneak, sneak, fight, sneak, sneak. Yeah, there's a couple of things. I like, like the shitty, the bed thing, but you need something to break up the tone. You need something to sort of lighten the mood briefly. This is that thing because it fits perfectly. Within within the plot line, um, there's an utter ridiculousness to the idea of uh, a, a shapeshifted Tiberius on top of Scorpion, Keleth. It's like taking the three kids and, and putting them on each other's shoulders and putting right. the, the big long coat over them. <laughs> Joke. Um, are you a teenager or are you three yeah, gnomes exactly. in a trench
1: coat? Right, yeah.
2: But And putting them in there and it's very easy for something like that to fail. I think it worked really well. Not necessarily in terms of the plan, although the plan worked out okay. Um, but in terms of, like, how it fits storyline-wise, um, it it, it played very well, and that's, you know, part of players' ingenuity and Matt's ability to adapt to the weirdest fucking plans possible. Um, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Although it does fit pretty – I would say it fits pretty middle-of-the-road with the standard uh, shapeshifter stereotypes and tropes because shapeshifting is generally a uh, go-big-or-go-home talent. You either – Turn yourself into something completely innocuous and attract no attention, or you turn yourself into something fucking dramatic and get all the attention. You know, it's, right. it's There's not really a, a a middle balance on on that. So uh, talent in terms of fantasy and sci-fi literature, most of the
0: time. I'm a, I'm a bit of an expert about making stupid plans. Okay, well, <laughs> um, let's hear it. Are as you? Some, are you as sure? Some, as some people can attest, um, <laughs> stupid stupid plans that somehow work.
2: Both of the time.
0: Uh and so my the the question the, the thing that I said out loud when I was listening to this plan was so your plan is to take the two gla- the the two people most made of glass and stick them in the middle of the room getting all of the attention. Yep. I mean it worked. <laughs> I mean it did. No, but, and, I mean, and to be fair,
2: your character's justifications for what, <laughs> when anybody has a problem with it, but it worked. Yeah, hey, I know. I know. And to be, <laughs> to
1: be fair, to be fair, Shapeshifted Keyleth is not made of glass.
2: This is true.
1: Because um, just because of the way the game mechanics work. But I, I still see your point. <laughs>
0: shapeshifted Keyleth is not made of glass. Once the shapeshift drops, though, Keila's a big then she totally is, <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's it's that that's just one of those interesting things that I I I because again because I am the master of making stupid plans. <clears throat> <laughs> um, that that was just that, that was one of the things that stood out to me was the was oh, the, yeah, uh, you, you take the two you know lowest hit point pools and shove them in the middle of the room. Uh, yep. but the, uh, the, the, they, they all concede that this is the plan. Um, mostly I think cause nobody else could come up with anything better. I think um, it's more that
2: they concede that it is a plan. <laughs> <and> a <win. laughs> yes.
0: Uh, and they make their way up the small staircase in the storeroom. Uh, they enter into the second floor, hoping to take out any extra guards before they engage the king and queen in the, in the main event. Um, as they approach, T- Tiberius and Kenoth make a combined effort to take out a group of guards, with Scanlan shaming the final one to drown within the water sphere holding them in place. Um, with them gone, Kelith transforms into a giant scorpion as Tiberius magically changes himself into the god of the people they are about to face. They burst into the room, Tiberius shouting at the amassed group of dark dwarves and at, at the amassed group of dark dwarves. A pair of basilisks are in the back of the room, as well as the mind flare that escaped them earlier. You know the the guy that knows there are intruders in the room in the building. Yep. Mm-hmm. Something they might have f- calculated into their plan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the king and Tiberius. As the king and Tiberius exchange words, Tiberius drops a fireball onto the king for his insolence. Because. Because uh, <laughs> yep. if you're gonna if you're gonna Just. go, go all the way, right? <laughs> if you're gonna go,
2: fire off the giant the the giant all in one spell. Ahead of when everybody is expecting,
0: yeah, right, yeah, no. It's the it's the world's best signal. Crash, um, crash
2: the airship into Cardinal Richelieu's
1: party that he's throwing for the the King of France. Yes.
0: Oh yes. God! With with the <laughs> oh, with
2: you just with, referenced the Three Musketeers movie. I totally did. You mean uh,
0: the, you you mean the Dynasty Warriors movie? Yes, the the yes. Dynasty Warriors. Let's and have France that movie. discussion
2: again. <laughs> I hate that movie so much. <laughs> But yeah,
1: no, it's uh, it's it's you know, we've we've gone borderline full swashbuckle mode at this point. Yes. You know, the 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 plan does not succeed because it's got tactical relevance. The plan succeeds because it's got moxie, damn it. <laughs>
0: um uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> the plan
2: succeeds because the dice like them let's be vax honest <laughs> cross,
0: so vax crosses to the back of the room burying his daggers in the illithid as unleashes a lightning bolt on the li- on the basilisks uh vex fires a blast of arrows conjured from her bow dropping a handful of durgar in the process Kima bounds into the room cleaving one basilisk in half Uh, Tiberius lets fly another fireball, taking out the remaining guards in front of him before tossing an ice knife and sending shards of ice into the queen and the other basilisk. Uh, and then he locks up from the gaze of one of the basilisks, turning him into stone. Reed, re- Person of glass getting all the attention. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> it was nice, though, that it only took one episode for that Chekhov's gun from last episode to pay off of, hey, yes, they actually do have basilisks.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, Cloroda wins a test of minds against the illicit, sending him after the queen. Um, and Keyleth tries to attack the king. Her claws take. So she's in scorpion mode. Yes. Yep. Uh, Did they refer to her pincers as claws? Probably. Probably. I don't remember.
1: I mean, you refer to them as claws on a crab, so I think you could get away with referring them as claws on a scorpion. Eh,
2: They're Uh, they're voice actors, they're not biology. It's true!
1: (laughs) A fact that I am keenly aware of every time I watch the show.
0: I'm also a voice actor, not a biologist, so let's continue on. Um... (laughs) I mean,
2: let's be honest. they're the voice actors, and it took it, it took Matt how long to get Sigil right? Right.
0: You Sigil. You Sigil. <laughs> you sigil. <laughs> um. So, uh, Aquila tries to protect the king, uh, but her her attack. Uh, I think he off still says armor. Chiton. His yes, chitin. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> uh vax leaps uh it's okay i I know someone who says Theurg instead of uh instead of third instead of Theurg. <laughs> because it's accurate damn it <laughs> <laughs> uh vax leaps behind the basilisk the remaining basilisk stabbing out its eyes and killing it. Scanlan tries to suggest the king do something odd uh what was that suggestion stand on your head that's right uh and uh Instead, the king turns around and just bashes Scalant into unconsciousness. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> and then sends a third attack against Kima, who is also turned to stone from the basilisk. Uh, Vex fires a pair of arrows into the queen, uh, not dropping her, but injuring her. Um, and Kima slashes away at King Myrgold, uh, uh carving through his armor with her divine smite, uh, and uh, wounding him as well, before she turns into stone completely. Uh... The queen dominates Grog's mind, uh, disintegrates a section of the, and and then turns her hands to the ceiling and disintegrates a section of the ceiling, allowing lava to flow into the room. Keyleth tries to slow it, uh, but it it tries to stop it, but is only able to slow it down. Percy fires a few shots at the king, nearly killing him. Pike heals Scanlan, then begins to drag the stone form of Tiberius out of the room. Which is a funny image in your head, of little Pike dragging dragonborn Tiberius out of the room.
1: Cause he's like at least six feet tall. She's like maybe three and he's made of complete rock at this he, point. And
0: he is completely stone. Um, Vax tries to take out the queen, uh, hoping to free Grog from her control. Uh, the attack lands, but she doesn't fall. Uh, and so the Grog takes a swing at him. Uh, Scanlan, terrified of the king hulking over him, swings his blade twice, which is the first time he's made a melee attack since the show began. Yep. Killing the king. Yes. Yep. Um. Uh, he actually beheads the king and sends his head flopping down into the magma. Exactly.
2: To be 3rd it's two attacks.
0: It is two attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh. But he still kills the king. Yes. Yep. Uh. Vex fires another pair of arrows uh, into the queen. Still doesn't kill her. Uh. But she uses the dimension and the queen uses dimension door to escape, taking Grog with her. Uh, with no one left to attack, everyone begins to rush out from the way they came in, pushing and shoving their way down the narrow stairs, uh, and, and to the secret door that they came in through. Uh, with the lava closing in on them, uh, the gnomes fall behind and take damage from the heat of the lava. Keyleth opens the door and blocks the uh, and blocks the flow of magma with another rock wall. Correct?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because she'd used wall of stone before, but yeah. con- but as Matt was. Uh... <laughs> Keen to remind her, constant magma flow will eventually eat away at Rock.
0: Yes. Um, So she she, uh, uses another wall of stone to uh, block off some of the magma, and the group scrambles out. Uh, But Vax gets caught, uh, falling unconscious, as he does so, uh, and lava melts most of his right foot. Trickett and Pike pull him out, uh, worth noting that apparently they've been carrying Tiberius this entire time.
1: Tiberius and Kima, yeah, both. Uh,
0: Tiberius and Kima. Um, without Grog. Uh, pulls him out of the lava, uh, and they all are outside the fortress, catching their breath, wondering where Grog is, and if they can fix Tiberius, Kima, and Vax. Which is... Vax. Which-
1: right which is a great i would say which is you know going back to jeremy's illustration of the yep. mid season finale yeah great finale moment to cut it on you know uh sure we've accomplished we've we've accomplished our stated objective we've rescued lady kima so we've right. got one in the victory column but at what cost we're down mm-hmm. grog two of our Members have been turned literally into stone. One of the others is gravely injured, um, although his, you know, it's it's been stated by word of God that he can recover, but he's in a bad situation. Um, yeah, fantastic way to to leave an episode, I would say.
2: Yeah, structurally, this is this is perfect for like a winner finale, um, because yeah, like you said, it it accomplished a bunch. But it also added so many more wrinkles and set up the next pl- the next stage of the arc. Um, which, which they will be a little far red herring-ish, but it's still something that they need to deal with, and it's a great point for them to close. <coughs> um, and I think part of why why it works so well is. You know, they went into this, and i it's mentioned a couple times during the episode of they didn't come into the, you know, at this point, they didn't have a chance to do any rest, any regaining spells, anything like that, or at least they didn't take the opportunity. They probably could have just before they entered the Emberhold. Um, but they never took that opportunity. Not a great D&D move. Um, no. But it's a amazing narratively in this particular situation because it ups the tension it puts the group on a more desperate edge they have to use tactics that they're not used to using like scan on actually going into combat um and really works in terms of making that last fight really feel like the epic fight that it is
0: yeah, I I don't know why, but for some reason I thought you were going to say like Scanlon shitting on a bed. And I, I was cons- I was confused like how does that relate to them not being not getting arrested? Um I mean if you don't take a short rest, arrest,
1: you right? don't have
2: time. <laughs> that's that, that's
1: and so true. You have that's to true. find another time and place to
0: do it. Find another time to take a shit. Uh so yeah, um overall I think this is a pretty good episode. Like um you know, there there's a couple of eh, moments but for the most part it's a it's a nice action pack they manage to keep um they managed to keep the action interesting um and keep the events going, which is like as people that do actual play podcasts ourselves we sometimes uh our action sequences aren't necessarily as interesting as the other sequences um, right. yeah so, so with the know crawl, how there's
1: di- right, we yeah.
0: we know how difficult it can be to make that constant action interesting right because
1: especially with a dungeon crawl uh making that narratively interesting it can be easy to get bogged down in the sequence oh, yeah. of here's a door we check for traps are there traps is it locked go in the room is there something to fight fight the thing okay how many doors out of the room Blah blah, blah. you know wash rinse repeat you know it, this wasn't That sort of thing, you know? Granted, they didn't have 13 Owlbears, but, you know, not everybody does. Um,
0: (laughs) 13 Owlbears is the best narrative storytelling in the world. Yeah,
1: that one one, one always wins. It's also going to be the name of the next band that I uh, start fronting for. So,
0: um, yeah. (laughs) What kind of music does 13 Owlbears play?
1: Uh, Kind of an indie Zydeco mix. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um yeah but, but 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 it it can be very challenging to to make episodes like this entertaining and they managed to do it which is a testament to you know it's a testament to them as 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 actors like yeah um the cuz the hardest part at least on our end the hardest part is maintaining that uh being entertaining aspect while mechanics are happening yeah um and they managed to and mostly it's mostly easier for them because they're all in the same room and we're uh in various different states and cities but um (laughs) uh it it, is it's still challenging either way so props to them for for keeping that up uh, so it, this is one I really, yeah. <clears throat> I really enjoyed
2: it because I think the last the 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 one or two before this were a little bit less. Not that I don't enjoy them, but but I I mean we're on record as, as talking about how they're a little bit a little bit lacking compared yeah. to how strongly it started. This was the episode where a lot of that paid off. Mm-hmm. and where it makes those previous episodes were well worth watching yeah. and um, also
1: to be and to to give them their entire due they did they did this with Travis Willingham being absent and i'm yes. sorry Travis is one of the most entertaining members of the cast yes um, absolutely you know.
2: especially right. when <clears throat> combat comes into play right
1: yeah um so so a, yeah,
0: them being perfect. able
1: to pull this out and being a man down at the time Pretty, yep. pretty damn impressive in my book.
0: Yep. Um, yeah, and I, one thing, one other thing that also that this does, um, like I said earlier, this is a this is a very good example of uh, you know advancing a narrative while also you know making the combat and the mechanics relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let this be a lesson to GMs out there that. You know, you want to tell a good story, but you you shy away from combat because you feel like you can't like there's there's not a lot of storytelling moments in combat. Make your make your player characters describe what they're doing and and, you know, sort of describe how they're reacting to what other people are doing. A lot of that was happening in this episode. And it's, you know, it's it's fantastic to. Yeah, it's fluid.
1: It's dynamic. And it's it's reinforcing and also subverting a lot of the character moments that these uh yeah. protagonists are known for. Yeah.
0: Like Or just
2: find a player who's willing to drown shifters and sewers.
0: Like me. Yeah. Uh I am available for most of your games. Just give me a hit me up on Twitter at John 8 Bates if you want me in your 5th campaign. I will certainly do my best to liven it up. Right. Um
1: he also likes lighting people on
0: fire. I do. He as we loves
2: like, lighting well, people on well,
0: fire. And and actually that's 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 kind of that's that was also a point that I was thinking about talking about with with as, as with Jack like in storyteller systems where the focus is not combat mhm there is still this opportunity for storytelling in combat oh, I, I think that I think when,
2: the storyteller system is actually much much more geared towards narrative combat
0: Yeah when you like when you have uh you know uh, talking about interesting interesting things of the inept Romeo somehow beating the skilled Tybalt. You also can have instances of, say, for example, a vampire that is classically afraid of fire using fire every other second on <laughs> other vampires. Uh huh. That works. That's an interesting narrative story. That's an interesting <laughs> narrative to go down.
2: Bad Correct. that comes with that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or. I mean, I think the, the, the all of the storyteller systems have built into their core uh a, a narrative stuff in terms of frenzy and rot shrek and in werewolf there's again frenzy. Um yep. all of those kinds of things are are very much uh geared towards narrative combat. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cuz cuz combat can make characters but <clears throat> combat can also break characters. And uh-huh. Both yeah. of those are highly rewarding you know. from a narrative perspective.
0: Sometimes, sometimes, you know, one of your party members uh is abducted by her family and turned into a flesh golem at the behest of a dark god. Right. Ha- and, and you have to deal with that.
2: Yes. As you- the uh, as happens. I mean, I can't <laughs> no. count the number of times it's happened to me in real life. I know, right? <laughs> But hey,
0: art, art those, imitates
2: life. So you All know. those pesky
0: okay. flesh golems. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that's
1: the, so that's the reason Atlanta traffic is as bad as it is. It, it
0: is. It is. <laughs> uh, so, this has been Critical Thinking. Uh, we have been Final Show Films. We produce a wide variety of content every day of the week. You, ch- you can check us out on our website at finalshowfilms.com, on our Patreon page at patreon.com. And on Facebook, facebook.com. Final Show Films. Um and you can also find us on 411Mania.com. Jeremy, tell us about dot maniacom
2: When you remember to post the articles. Um 411Mania.com. We are a pop culture news site uh dedicated towards everything that fan fans would like. Um movies, television, bit of comics, uh video games, music. Uh, wrestling, mixed martial arts, uh, D&D critiques, and actual plays, and podcasts, and all of that kind of cool stuff. Check us out. We rock.
0: I mean, yeah, they have like my favorite article about that pop culture reference, and those wrestlers, and that event. And also... Those actual plays. So, <laughs> thanks for thank you all for listening. Thank Fuck you, off. Was, thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, One of these you,
2: days, I'm actually going to write something down. Can you... <laughs> I can start doing them like fucking Regal does, and then you're gonna wish that you had me doing the boilerplate version.
0: Do you? Do you, Can you tell of, which of us is the actor? Um, one,
1: of, one of these days, I'm just gonna steal the whole farewell sequence from you guys and actually do something legit. No, I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you, especially to our, our patrons uh, who support us on Patreon uh, and our twenty five dollars supporters, Chris Comfort and Tonic. Um, And thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.